2: Hello everyone, thank you for joining me around the fireside tonight. My name is Joe, and I'm here to tell you a story. A story of animals, and lots of them. Of parrots and crocodiles and swallows and monkeys and old plough horses. A story of being able to talk many, many different languages. A story of a very famous doctor. And his humble beginnings. Proudly presenting Part 1 of Dr. Doolittle by Hugh Lofting, published in 1920. I'd like to thank everyone on the Tales by the Fireside Facebook page who helped vote in the next stories, and I'm happy to provide Part 1 of this wonderful tale for you now. It's great fun to read, and I sincerely hope you enjoy it. If you do, please let me know by leaving a comment, like or review, and subscribing to whatever platform you're listening on. We're also crowdfunding for the continued existence and expansion of the show. Should you wish to get involved, please check out GoFundMe.com slash Tales by the Fireside. Everything you do, and every interaction you make, really does mean the world. Now please, get comfortable, let go of the daylight, and join me for our story. The Story of Dr Doolittle Being the History of His Peculiar Life at Home and Astonishing Adventures in Foreign Parts By Hugh Lofting The First Chapter Puddleby Once upon a time, many years ago, when our grandfathers were little children, there was a doctor, and his name was Doolittle. John Doolittle, M.D. M.D. means that he was a proper doctor and knew a whole lot. He lived in a little town called Puddleby-on-the-Marsh. All the folks, young and old, knew him well by sight, and whenever he walked down the street in his high hat, everyone would say, there goes the doctor, he's a clever man and the dogs and the children would all run up and follow behind him, and even the crows that lived in the church tower would caw and nod their heads. The house he lived in, on the edge of town, was quite small, but his garden was very large and had a wide lawn and stone seats and weeping willows hanging over. His sister, Sarah Doolittle, was housekeeper for him, but the doctor looked after the garden himself. He was very fond of animals and kept many kinds of pets. Besides the goldfish in the pond at the bottom of his garden, he had rabbits in the pantry, white mice in his piano, a squirrel in the linen closet and a hedgehog in the cellar. He had a cow with a calf too and an old lame horse, 25 years of age, and chickens and pigeons and two lambs and many other animals. But his favourite pets were Dab-Dab the duck, Jip the dog, Gub-Gub the baby pig, Polynesia the parrot, and the owl, Tutu. His sister used to grumble about all these animals and said they made the house untidy. And one day, when an old lady with rheumatism came to see the doctor, she sat on the hedgehog who was sleeping on the sofa and never came to see him anymore. But drove every Saturday all the way to Oxenthorpe, another town ten miles off, to see a different doctor. Then his sister, Sarah Doolittle, came to him and said, John, how can you expect sick people to come and see you when you keep all these animals in the house? It's a fine doctor would have his parlour full of hedgehogs and mice. That's the fourth personage these animals have driven away. Squire Jenkins and the parson say they wouldn't come near your house again, no matter how sick they are. We are getting poorer every day. If you go on like this, none of the best people will have you for a doctor. But I like animals better than the best people, said the doctor. You are ridiculous, said his sister, and walked out of the room. So, as time went on, the doctor got more and more animals, and the people who came to see him got less and less. Till at last, he had no one left, except the cat's meat man. didn't mind any kind of animals. But the cat's meat man wasn't very rich, and he only got sick once a year, at Christmas time, when he used to give the doctor sixpence for a bottle of medicine. Sixpence a year wasn't enough to live on, even in those days long ago, and if the doctor hadn't had some money saved up in his money box, no one knows what could have happened. And he kept on getting still more pets, and of course it cost a lot to feed them, and the money he saved up grew littler and littler. Then he sold his piano and let the mice live in the bureau drawer. But the money he got for that too began to go. So he sold the brown suit he wore on Sundays and went on becoming poorer and poorer. And now, when he walked down the street in his high hat, people would say to one another, There goes John Doolittle, M.D. There was a time when he was the best-known doctor in the West Country. Look at him now. He hasn't any money and his stockings are full of holes. But the dogs and the cats and the children still ran up and followed him through the town, the same as they had done when he was rich. The second chapter. Animal Language. It happened one day that the doctor was sitting in his kitchen talking with the cat's meat man who had come to see him with a stomachache. Why don't you give up being a people's doctor and be an animal doctor? asked the cat's meat man. The parrot, Polynesia, was sitting in the window looking out at the rain and singing a sailor song to herself. She stopped singing and started to listen. See, doctor, the cat's meat man went on, you know all about animals, much more than what these here vets do. That book you wrote about cats, why, it's wonderful. Can't read or write myself, or maybe I'd write some books, but my wife, Theodosia... She's a scholar, she is. And she read your book to me. Well, it's wonderful. It's all that can be said. Wonderful. You might have been a cat yourself. You know the way they think. And listen, you can make a lot of money doctoring animals. Do you know that? You see, i send all the old women who had sick cats or dogs to you. And if they don't get sick fast enough, I could put something in the meat I sell them to make them sick. See? Oh no, said the doctor quickly. You mustn't do that. That wouldn't be right. Oh, I, I didn't mean real sick, answered the cat's meat man. Just a little something to make them droopy like, was what I had reference to. But as you say, maybe it ain't quite fair on the animals. But they'll get sick anyway, because the old women always give them too much to eat. And look, all the farmers round about who had lame horses and wheat lambs, they'd come. Be an animal doctor. When the cat's meat man had gone, the parrot flew off the window onto the doctor's table and said... That man's got sense. That's what you ought to do. Be an animal doctor. Give the silly people up. If they haven't brains enough to see that you're the best doctor in the world, take care of animals instead. They'll soon find it out. Be an animal doctor. Oh, there are plenty of animal doctors, said John Dolittle, putting the flower pots outside on the windowsill to get the rain. Yes, there are plenty, said Polynesia, but none of them are any good at it. Now listen, doctor, and I'll tell you something. Did you know that animals can talk? I knew that parrots can talk, said the doctor. Uh, We parrots can talk in two languages, people's language and bird language, said Polynesia proudly. If I say, Polly wants a cracker, you understand me. But hear this, kakā oi, fifi. Good gracious, cried the doctor. What does that mean? That means, is the porridge hot yet? In bird language. My, you don't say so, said the doctor. you never talked that way to me before. What would have been the good, said Polynesia, dusting some cracker crumbs off her left wing. You wouldn't have understood me if I had. Tell me some more, said the doctor, all excited, and he rushed over to the dresser drawer and came back with the butcher's book and a pencil. Now don't go too fast, and I'll write it down. This is interesting, very interesting, something quite new. Give me the bird's ABC first, slowly now. So that was the way the doctor came to know that animals had a language of their own and could talk to one another. And all that afternoon, while it was raining, Polynesia sat on the kitchen table, giving him bird words to put down in the book. At tea time, when the dog, Jip, came in, the parrot said to the doctor, "'See? He's talking to you!' "'Looks to me as though he was scratching his ear,' said the doctor. "'Ah, but animals don't always speak with their mouths,' said the parrot in a high voice, raising her eyebrows." They talk with their ears, with their feet, with their tails, with everything. Sometimes they don't want to make a noise, so you see the way he's twitching up one side of his nose. What does that mean? asked the doctor. That means, can't you see that it has stopped raining? Polynesia answered. He's asking you a question. Dogs nearly always use their noses for asking questions. After a while, with the parrot's help, the doctor got to learn the language of the animals so well that he could talk to them himself and understand everything they said. Then, he gave up being a people's doctor altogether. As soon as the cat's meat man had told everyone that John Doolittle was going to become an animal doctor, old ladies began to bring him their pet pugs and poodles who had eaten too much cake, and farmers came many miles to show him sick cows and sheep. One day, a plough horse was brought to him, and the poor thing was terribly glad to find a man who could talk in horse language. You know, doctor, said the horse, that vet over the hill knows nothing at all. He has been treating me six weeks now for spavins. What I need is spectacles. I'm going blind in one eye. There's no reason why horses shouldn't wear glasses the same as people. But that stupid man over the hill never even looked at my eyes. He kept on giving me big pills. I tried to tell him, but he couldn't understand a word of horse language. What I need is spectacles. "Of course, of course," said the doctor. "I'll get you some at once." "I would like a pair like yours," said the horse. "Only green. They'll keep the sun out of my eyes while I'm ploughing the 50-acre field." "Certainly," said the doctor. "Green ones you shall have." "You know, the trouble is, sir," said the plough horse as the doctor opened the front door to let him out. "The trouble is that anybody thinks he can doctor animals just because the animals don't complain." As a matter of fact, it takes a much cleverer man to be a really good animal doctor than it takes to be a good people's doctor. My farmer's boy thinks he knows all about horses. I wish you could see him. His face is so fat, he looks as though he had no eyes, and he's got about as much brains as a potato bug. He tried to put a mustard plaster on me last week. Where did he put it? asked the doctor. Oh, he didn't put it anywhere. On me? said the horse. He only tried to. I kicked him into the duck pond. "'Well, well,' said the doctor. "'I'm a pretty quiet creature as a rule,' said the horse. "'Very patient with people. Don't make much fuss. "'But it was bad enough to have that vet given me the wrong medicine. "'And then when that red-faced booby started to monkey with me, "'I just couldn't bear it any more." "'Did you hurt the boy much?' asked the doctor. "'Oh, no,' said the horse. "'I kicked him in the right place. "'The vet's looking after him now. "'When will my glasses be ready?' "'I'll have them for you next week,' said the doctor.' Come in again Tuesday. Good morning. Then John Doolittle got a fine, big pair of green spectacles, and the plough horse stopped going blind in one eye and could see as well as ever. And soon it became a common sight to see farm animals wearing glasses in the country around Puddleby, and a blind horse was a thing unknown. And so it was with all the other animals that were brought to him. As soon as they found that he could talk their language... They told him where their pain was and how they felt, and of course, it was easy for him to cure them. Now all these animals went back and told their brothers and friends that there was a doctor in the little house with the big garden who really was a doctor. And whenever any creatures got sick, not only horses and cows and dogs, but all the little things of the fields, like harvest mice and water voles, badgers and bats, they came at once to his house on the edge of the town, so that his big garden was nearly always crowded with animals trying to get in to see him. There were so many that came that he had to have special doors made for the different kinds. He wrote horses over the front door, cows over the side door, and sheep on the kitchen door. Each kind of animal had a separate door. Even the mice had a tiny tunnel made for them into the cellar, where they waited patiently in rows for the doctor to come round to them. And so, in a few years' time... Every living thing, for miles and miles, got to know about John Doolittle, M.D., and the birds who flew to other countries in the winter told the animals in foreign lands...
1: Get the high end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to slash style
0: for free shipping and 365 day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. <laughs> Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.
2: Of the wonderful doctor of Puddleby on the Marsh, who could understand their talk and help them in their troubles. In this way, he became famous among the animals all over the world, better known even than he had been among the folks of the West Country, and he was happy and liked his life very much. One afternoon, when the doctor was busy writing in a book, Polynesia sat in the window, as she nearly always did, looking out at the leaves blowing about the garden. Presently, she laughed aloud. "'What is it, Polynesia?' asked the doctor, looking up from his book. "'I was just thinking,' said the parrot, as she went on looking at the leaves. "'What were you thinking?' "'I was thinking about people,' said Polynesia.' People make me sick. They think they're so wonderful. The world has been going on now for thousands of years, hasn't it? And the only thing in animal language that people have learned to understand is that when a dog wags his tail, he means, I'm glad. It's funny, isn't it? You are the very first man to talk like us. Oh, sometimes people annoy me dreadfully. Such airs they put on. Talking about the dumb animals. Dumb, huh? Why, I knew a macaw once who would say good morning in seven different ways without once opening his mouth. He could talk every language. And Greek. An old professor with a grey beard bought him. But he didn't stay. He said the old man didn't talk Greek right. And he couldn't stand listening to him teach the language wrong. I often wonder what's become of him. That bird knew more geography than people will ever know. People. Golly. I suppose if people ever learn to fly like any common hedge sparrow, we shall never hear the end of it. You're a very wise old bird, said the doctor. How old are you really? I know that parrots and elephants sometimes live to be very, very old. I can never be quite sure of my age, said Polynesia. It's either a 183 or a 182. But I know that when I first came here from Africa, King Charles was still hiding in the oak tree, because I saw him. He looked scared to death. The Third Chapter More Money Troubles And soon now the doctor began to make money again, and his sister, Sarah, bought a new dress and was happy. Some of the animals who came to see him were so sick that they had to stay at the doctor's house for a week, and when they were getting better, they used to sit in the chairs on the lawn. And often, even after they got well, they did not want to go away. They liked the doctor and his house so much, and he never had the heart to refuse them when they asked if they could stay with him. So in this way, he went on getting more and more pets. Once, when he was sitting on his garden wall, smoking a pipe in the evening, an Italian organ grinder came round with a monkey on a string. The doctor saw at once that the monkey's collar was too tight and that he was dirty and unhappy. So he took the monkey away from the Italian, gave the man a shilling and told him to go. The organ grinder got awfully angry and said he wanted to keep the monkey. But the doctor told him that if he didn't go away he would punch him on the nose. John Doolittle was a strong man, though he wasn't very tall. So the Italian went away, saying rude things, and the monkey stayed with Dr Doolittle and had a good home. The other animals in the house called him Chi-Chi, which is a common word in monkey language, meaning ginger. And another time, when the circus came to Puddleby, the crocodile, who had a bad toothache, escaped at night and came into the doctor's garden. The doctor talked to him in crocodile language, and took him into the house and made his tooth better. But when the crocodile saw what a nice house it was, with all the different places for the different kinds of animals, he too wanted to live with the doctor. He asked, couldn't he sleep in the fish pond at the bottom of the garden, if he promised not to eat the fish? When the circus men came to take him back, he got so wild and savage that he frightened them away. But to everyone in the house, he was always as gentle as a kitten. But now... The old ladies grew afraid to send their lapdogs to Dr. Doolittle because of the crocodile, and the farmers wouldn't believe that he would not eat the lambs and sick calves they brought to be cured. So the doctor went to the crocodile and told him he must go back to his circus. But he wept such big tears and begged so hard to be allowed to stay that the doctor hadn't the heart to turn him out. So then the doctor's sister came to him and said, "'John, you must send that creature away!' "'Now the farmers and the old ladies are afraid to send their animals to you, "'just as we were beginning to be well off again. "'Now we shall be ruined entirely. "'This is the last straw. "'I will no longer be a housekeeper for you if you don't send away that alligator.' "'It isn't an alligator,' said the doctor. "'It's a crocodile.' "'Don't care what you call it,' said his sister. "'It's a nasty thing to find under the bed. "'I won't have it in the house.' "'But he's promised me,' the doctor answered, "'that he will not bite anyone.' He doesn't like the circus, and I haven't the money to send him back to Africa where he comes from. He minds his own business, and on the whole, he's very well behaved. Don't be so fussy. I tell you, I will not have him around, said Sarah. He eats the linoleum. If you don't send him away this minute, I'll... I'll go and get married. All right, said the doctor. Go and get married. Can't be helped. And he took down his hat and went out into the garden. So, Sarah Doolittle packed her things and went off, and the doctor was left all alone with his animal family. And very soon, he was poorer than he had ever been before. With all these mouths to fill, and the house to look after, and no one to do the mending, and no money coming in to pay the butcher's bill, things began to look very difficult. But the doctor didn't worry at all. Money's a nuisance, he used to say. We'd all be so much better off if it had never been invented. What does money matter so long as we're happy? But soon, the animals themselves began to get worried. And one evening, when the doctor was asleep in his chair before the kitchen fire, they began talking it over amongst themselves in whispers. And the owl, Tutu, who was good at arithmetic, figured it out that there was only money enough left to last another week if they each had one meal a day and no more. Then the parrot said, I think we all ought to do the housework ourselves. At least we can do that much. After all, it is for our sakes that the old man finds himself so lonely and so poor. So it was agreed that the monkey, Chi-Chi, was to do the cooking and the mending, the dog was to sweep the floors, the duck was to dust and make the beds, the owl, Tutu, was to keep the accounts, and the pig was to do the gardening. They made Polynesia the parrot, housekeeper and laundress because she was the oldest. Of course, at first, they all found their new jobs very hard to do all except Chi-Chi who had hands and could do things like a man. But they soon got used to it, and they used to think it great fun to watch Jip, the dog, sweeping his tail over the floor with a rag tied onto it for a broom. After a little, they got to do the work so well that the doctor said that he had never had his house kept so tidy or so clean before. In this way, things went along all right for a while, but without money, they found it very hard. Then the animals made a vegetable and flower stall outside the garden gate and sold radishes and roses to the people that passed by along the road. But still, they didn't seem to make enough money to pay all the bills. And still the doctor wouldn't worry. When the parrot came to him and told him that the fishmonger wouldn't give them any more fish, he said, Never mind. So long as the hens lay eggs and the cows give milk, we can have omelettes and junk it. Then there are plenty of vegetables left in the garden. The winter is still a long way off. Don't fuss. That was the trouble with Sarah. She'd fuss. I wonder how Sarah's getting on. An excellent woman, in some ways. Well, well. But the snow came earlier than usual that year, and although the lame horse hauled in plenty of wood from the forest outside the town so they could have a big fire in the kitchen, most of the vegetables in the garden were gone, and the rest were covered with snow, and many of the animals were really hungry. The fourth chapter. A message from Africa. That winter was a very cold one, and one night in December, when they were all sitting round the warm fire in the kitchen, and the doctor was reading aloud to them out of books he had written himself in animal language, the owl, Tutu, suddenly said, "Sh! what's that noise outside? They all listened, and presently they heard the sound of someone running. Then the door flew open, and the monkey Chi-Chi ran in, badly out of breath. ''Doctor!'' he cried. ''I've just had a message from a cousin of mine in Africa. There is a terrible sickness among the monkeys out there. They are all catching it, and they are dying in hundreds. They have heard of you, and beg you to come to Africa to stop the sickness.'' ''Who brought the message?'' asked the doctor, taking off his spectacles and laying down his book. ''A swallow,'' said chi She's outside on the rain-butt.'' ''Bring her in by the fire,'' said the doctor. ''She must be perished with the cold.'' The swallows flew south six weeks ago. So the swallow was brought in, all huddled and shivering, and although she was a little afraid at first, she soon got warmed up and sat on the edge of the mantelpiece and began to talk. When she had finished, the doctor said, I would gladly go to Africa, especially in this bitter weather, but I'm afraid we haven't money enough to buy the tickets. Get me the money box, chi So the monkey climbed up and got it off the top shelf of the dresser. There was nothing in it. Not one single penny. "'I felt sure there was two pence left,' said the doctor. "'There was,' said the owl. "'But you spent it on a rattle for that badger's baby when he was teething.' "'Did I?' said the doctor. "'Dear me, dear me. What a nuisance money is, to be sure. "'Well, never mind. Perhaps if I go down the seaside "'I shall be able to borrow a boat that will take us to Africa.' I knew a seaman once who brought his baby to me with measles. Maybe he'll lend us his boat. The baby got well. So, early the next morning, the doctor went down to the seashore. And when he came back, he told the animals it was all right. The sailor was going to lend them the boat. Then the crocodile and the monkey and the parrot were very glad and began to sing because they were going back to Africa, their real home. And the doctor said, I shall only be able to take you three with Chip Chip the dog, Dab-Dab the duck, Gub-Gub the pig, and the owl Tutu. The rest of the animals, like the dormice and the water voles and the bats, they will have to go back and live in the fields where they were born till we come home again. But as most of them sleep through the winter, they won't mind that. And besides, it wouldn't be good for them to go to Africa. So then the parrot, who had been on long sea voyages before, began telling the doctor all the things he would have to take with him on the ship. You must have plenty of pilot bread, she said. Hard tack, they call it. And you must have beef in cans. And an anchor. I expect the ship will have its own anchor, said the doctor. Well, make sure, said Polynesia, because it's very important. You can't stop if you haven't got an anchor, and you'll need a bell. What's that for? said the doctor. To tell the time by, said the parrot. You go and ring it every half hour, and then you know what time it is, and bring a whole lot of rope. It always comes in handy on voyages. They began to wonder where they were going to get the money from to buy all the things that they needed. Oh, bother it. Money again, cried the doctor. Goodness, I shall be glad to get to Africa where we don't have to have any. I'll go and ask the grocer if he'll wait for his money till I get back. No, I'll send the sailor to ask him. So the sailor went to see the grocer and presently he came back with all the things they wanted. Then the animals packed up and after they had turned off the water so the pipes wouldn't freeze, and put up the shutters, they closed the house and gave the key to the old horse who lived in the stable, and when they had seen that there was plenty of hay in the loft to last the horse through the winter, they carried all their luggage down to the seashore and got onto the boat. The cat's meat man was there to see them off, and he brought a large suet pudding as a present for the doctor, because, he said he'd been told, you couldn't get suet puddings in foreign parts. As soon as they were on the ship, gub the pig asked where the beds were, for it was four o'clock in the afternoon and he wanted his nap. So Polynesia took him downstairs into to the inside of the ship and showed him the beds, all set on top of one another like bookshelves against a wall. Why, that isn't a bed, cried Gubgub. That's a shelf. Beds are always like that on ships, said the parrot. It isn't a shelf. Climb up into it and go to sleep. That's what you call a bunk. I don't think I'll go to bed yet, said Gub-Gub. I'm too excited. I want to go upstairs and see them start. Well, this is your first trip, said Polynesia. You will get used to the life after a while. And she went back up the stairs of the ship, humming this song to herself. I've seen the Black Sea and the Red Sea. I've rounded the Isle of Wight. I discovered the Yellow River and the Orange, too, by night. Now Greenland drops behind again. I sail the ocean blue. I'm tired of all these colours, Jane, so I'm coming back to you. They were just going to start on their journey when the doctor said he would have to go back and ask the sailor the way to Africa. But the swallow said she had been to that country many times and would show them how to get there. So the doctor told Chi-Chi to pull up the anchor and the voyage began. The end of part one. Good night.